Hi everyone, I'm Lottie Bowser and you're listening to Lemonade, the podcast that amplifies extraordinary stories of adversity, courage and resilience so that you too can be reminded of your power. Every fortnight, a guest reveals the defining moments that have shaped their lives and the insights and tools they have learned that have helped them to thrive in the wake of their challenges. Season one is packed with incredible people, from activists to comedians, athletes and authors. Don't forget to hit the follow button to be the first to know about every new episode and leave us a review if you like what you hear. So Bradley, I came across your story a while ago now. You popped up on my Instagram feed. It was a short clip of you on Cooper Chapman's podcast. And you were talking about these magical little things called today's and tomorrow's, which we'll get into later. But I was like, I have to talk to this guy. He's incredible. I listened to the podcast episode and it genuinely stayed with me for days afterwards. You have such an amazing outlook on life and I'm really excited to share your story with my listeners. So thank you so much for making the time. I'd love to start with you taking us back to when you were born, I guess, which is where this wild journey of yours began. Most definitely. And, you know, firstly, thank you for the very kind words. I was so touched by your message when you reached out and so touched by your story. And and I love that you know, storytelling has this incredible power to connect people, but also to to uplift and inspire hope in others. And, you know, that, that for me is why I'm so passionate about not only sharing my story, but doing what you do and, and hosting as well and, and just connecting with people. So it's such a joy for me to sit here and, and share and chat. And, and when I really sit and consider my story, there's so many moments in time that feel, you know, somewhat life-changing for me, like catalyst moments in my journey. But the first would be my birth. And now, I've got two beautiful parents, Darren and Diane Driver, who were as prepared as any parent could be to bring their first child into the world. Like they'd worked the multiple jobs, they'd sacrificed, they'd saved money, they'd built the dream family home to make sure that their firstborn was coming into just a loving and, and safe environment. And, you know, mum done everything right. Like she never ate processed meat or she never done anything, like never drank alcohol, never went near just the slightest sign of cigarette smoke because she just wanted a baby to be so healthy. And, you know, I was born on the 12th of April, 1996 and three weeks to follow, there's a, a standard testing procedure called the Guthrie's test, which basically tests for a bunch of chronic illness and a bunch of the illness that can be present in newborns. And that's where cystic fibrosis come up. Now, they didn't know what CF was at the time, but they'd heard of, you know, a distant relative who had had CF and been quite unwell. And as they started to dive deeper into the understanding and the knowledge of cystic fibrosis and what this meant for, you know, my life, they were met with a specialist just about a month or so into my life. And that specialist sat them down and he said, your son Bradley would be better off with a terminal illness that would kill him or he'd get over. Cystic fibrosis will ruin his life. Now, I guess you can imagine being parents of a newborn child who have planned and prepared. And, you know, there's a a quote that I love from Mike Tyson, the famous boxer, that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And I guess that prognosis was the ultimate uppercut for my parents as they were firstly shocked and appalled at the words that come out of a specialist's mouth. But 
Secondly, what follows is for me the greatest message and lesson I could have ever learned in life well before I was conscious enough to realize it. That, you know, them walking out of that doctor's surgery immediately, deciding that they were going to find someone who shared a more positive vision and a more positive outlook for my future and health, that they wouldn't believe those words. It taught me an incredible lesson that what you believe is what you'll become. And they certainly didn't believe that I was going to be another sad statistic or the prisoner of a hospital bed. They had bigger plans for my life. And essentially, that was a story of my early years, you know, for all that CF was supposed to challenge me with and for all that was required to, you know, to go above and beyond to make sure that I had healthy foundations as a child. My parents just delivered that. They were just so dedicated and so incredible in you know, crafting a really healthy environment for my early years. And so despite everything that was supposed to be a challenge for me, I was a really healthy kid. Like in my early years, it was almost like CF wasn't present. You know, if it wasn't words printed on a medical certificate and if there weren't prescriptions and tablets to take, you would have thought that I was just a really normal, healthy child. And, you know, it was normal. You know, it's just an illness that was, was there and was present, but they were handling it very well. And really, as my years went on, I started to, you know, so thankfully in my early years, develop a passion for physical activity and sport. And that passion was something doctors loved because a more active kid with CF was a healthier kid with CF. And it meant that my lungs were moving. And I guess, you know, I should probably backtrack a little bit and explain what cystic fibrosis is for those listening who maybe don't fully understand but CF is a, a chronic illness that affects predominantly the lungs, digestive system, amongst a host of other vital organs. So it's a, a defective gene in the body that is supposed to transport salt and water to the cells. And where that salt and water isn't properly transported to the cells, mucus that moves around the whole body gets thick and sticky and it gets caught in those organs impairing and scarring them. So when I say impairing, I mean impairing the function. So for example, the lungs, you have a decrease in the lung capacity and the lungs ability to get air in and out. Um, you have scarring in the areas where mucus sits. And quite often when mucus sits, it can harbor infection. And infection is quite damaging to the lungs, especially on repeated occasions. And a lot of people with cystic fibrosis will get an infection and then just not be able to ever shake that. It's within their lungs for the rest of their life. You know, but despite all of this, I was doing really well. And you know, I was diagnosed with liver disease at the age of nine, diagnosed with diabetes at the age of 13, and then from 16 onwards, they started to discover um, large esophageal varices forming that needed to be surgically removed every 12 to 18 months to reduce and remove the risk of you know, bursting and bleeding internally. But despite all of this, in my early years, I was so healthy and so well, which was just such a shock to doctors. There was even a, a claim at one point that they thought I'd be in the top 5% of healthy CF patients in the world. And so, you know, there was that negative diagnosis and prognosis, but the story, the story of my early years of my life was the complete opposite to that. I was overcoming adversity and defying the odds on a daily basis, essentially. Uh, it's such a hopeful message, Brad. It makes me think of the four-minute mile or something. It is possible to defy the odds, to break through that glass ceiling. You are a testament to that. And I understand that doctors are just doing their jobs, right? But 
it's insane how negative they can be sometimes. And the sad reality is, is that so many people would take these diagnoses as gospel. For your parents to look beyond that prognosis you were given and create an environment conducive to you thriving is incredible. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, the thing is doctors have mastered so many incredible surgeries and, you know, they they understand the body at such a level of depth. But the one thing they really struggle to master, and, you know, some do, but a lot of them still struggle with mastering how they deliver news and how they deliver a diagnosis. And I've always said that hope is the best medicine. And you mentioned it there, you know, this really is a story of hope. And I see my parents as a as pioneers or the pioneers in my journey because, you know, we live in a world now in an age where thankfully my story can reach so many others because of social media, because of podcasts, because of news and media. But back then, like I was born in 1996, so I'm, you know, still somewhat of a spring chicken, but in the early years of my life, there was no social media. So to hear of other people who were succeeding with cystic fibrosis, you know, it, it wasn't heard of. It was just for them, they were, they were going into the unknown and they were trying to create an outcome for my life that essentially was definitely not guaranteed, nor did they see any evidence that it was possible. But it shows what determination and will can do. Absolutely. And I feel like so long as you're alive, there is always hope, right? Particularly in the face of these kinds of diagnoses, as long as you're still breathing, there is hope. I couldn't agree with you more. So Bradley, let's fast forward a little bit. I know that there was a turning point for you in your journey during one of your hospital stays, but could you tell us a bit about your teenage years and what you did after school? Yeah, well, my teenage years were, were funny ones because I guess as a child, my, my one passion, my earliest passion was storytelling. And I guess I always had a love for connecting with people and sharing stories and hearing other people's stories. I was always incredibly curious. And I found myself throughout my early years really confident. I had so much confidence. I was the kind of young kid that you could put on a stage in front of thousands of people and, you know, I'd give a keynote. (laughs) So that was kind of who I was as a child. But then as I entered my teenage years, you know, that little voice of self-doubt starts to creep in. And unfortunately, because of things like social media, we start to often compare ourselves to others. And, you know, just at that really really forming time in our lives where we we really got an opportunity to build our own self-esteem based off the way that we see ourselves in the world. You know, my skin started to break out pretty bad. And, and for me, that was so crippling to my confidence because a big part of my confidence was being vibrant and, and looking healthy because despite, you know, the fact that I wasn't supposed to be, I looked vibrant, I looked well. So as my skin started to break out, I found myself going from quite extroverted to a more introverted character within my friend group. But then as my skin would clear up, that character would come out of its shell again. As I went through my teenage years, though, I still had real dreams and real purpose and passion for life. And so I sort of got to the age of 15 or 16 and that passion really started to go from storytelling and into health. 
I think there was always an invested interest in health for me because of my CF and, and, you know, understanding my body better and how to train it, look after it and just, you know, have a better understanding of my well-being was always going to be a real, a real asset. So at the age of 16, I decided to to leave school, not do the, the following two years of HSE study and, you know, to go on and do my degrees in personal training or my qualifications in that. And so from sort of 17 to 18, I went and studied at TAFE in Australia and, and got my degrees in personal training and going out into the world where I was meeting people, not just my own age, but people of all ages, training clients up to the age of 84. I had clients who were 14. Like I had such a mix of people I was working with. And I started to learn real skills in not just sharing story, but connecting with people and understanding people on deeper levels and understanding people from different walks of life. And for me, it was a really forming time where then a a passion to dive into a career that was a little more challenging for me and, and a little bit more corporate sort of rose to the surface. And, you know, within a matter of weeks, I found myself inside a real estate office working as a sales agent. I'll jump back a little bit here. At 18, I had my first real challenge with my health where I found myself um, quite ill for the stage of one week, um, going into a Friday surgery, a planned surgery to have one of those esophageal varices potentially removed. I'd become really ill and, and I was coughing a lot and my lungs didn't feel good for the first time in my life. I remember getting to the hospital that morning for the surgery and they do like a pre-surgery um, sort of checkup analysis and the nurse said to me, mate, I don't know what's wrong with you, but your blood pressure is 180 over 100 and your temperature's through the roof. You're incredibly ill. And I was like, well, that makes sense because I feel very ill. And she said, we can't operate on you today. It's extremely dangerous to put you under an anesthetic in a condition like this. You need to go home. And as soon as we have a bed free up in hospital, we're going to have to bring you in for a couple of weeks because we believe there's something wrong within your system. And so I went home that afternoon. It was the next morning. I'd I'd gotten even worse. And I was sitting on the lounge with my dad watching a movie on Netflix. And I started to cough really consistently and I couldn't stop. And it was just after one cough, I could taste this metallic taste in my mouth. And anyone who's like ever cut their gum, brushing their teeth or, you know, eaten something that's, you know, chipped away at their mouth and you can taste that metallic taste of blood, I knew it was that straight away. And so I ran to the laundry sink and I started coughing blood, fresh blood into the sink. And then it started to come sort of quite uncontrollably. And you can imagine that in that moment, just fear and anxiety washes over your body because you've been told just a week before that you need to go in for a surgery on your esophageal varices because there's a potential that one of them's too big and might burst and bleed internally. And you're told that if you ever do start coughing up or vomiting up blood, that you need to get to emergency as quick as possible because you could be dying from you know bleeding internally. So just fear and panic washes over your body. And I remember yelling out to my dad at the time. We jumped straight in the car and started racing towards the emergency room just 10 minutes from our place. And at 18 years of age, sitting in the car next to my dad, there's so much going through your mind. The first thing is, you know, looking at my dad and wondering whether he's going to watch me die in the car, whether he's going to have to carry me unconscious into the emergency and hope that someone has the ability to, to revive me and to survive, you know, for me to survive, you know, 
at the time I'm thinking, well, my mum and my sister aren't here with me. They were at work and thankfully working together at the time. So I grabbed my mobile and I called them and my sister answered the work phone. And I just said to my sister, I don't know what's happening, but I'm coughing up quite a lot of blood. Your mum needs to drop everything and meet me at Wollongong Emergency ASAP. And I remember hanging up and just wondering whether I'd ever see my mum and my sister again. And then the last question that sort of comes over your mind as you're getting close to the hospital is, for the last 18 years of my life, I've been so in control of my cystic fibrosis. How did I go so wrong? And then as you arrive at emergency, I was so thankfully after seeing doctors very urgently, so thankful to find out that it wasn't one of my esophageal varices bleeding, that it was actually coming from my lungs. And whilst bleeding in the lungs can still be quite dangerous if you bleed too much, they were able to check my blood levels and, and sort of understand and know that I hadn't lost too much blood, that my cell counts were still relatively healthy and that the blood was actually coming from an infection in the lungs and that infection was a very heavy bout of pneumonia. And so at that age of 18, you know, you have like a watershed moment almost where you think far out. I just faced what I thought was imminent mortality. And how did I feel? Well, I was devastated that I was going to be leaving my family behind. But I was also devastated that, you know, I'm so young. I haven't lived fully yet. There's so much I still want to do. There's so much I want to challenge myself with. And, and it was just such a shock because I'd never experienced it before. And I remember thinking, far out, this is what CF must be like for so many people. And I remember feeling on one side privileged that I'd, you know, privileged and, you know, I'd earned the privilege of being healthy because I'd trained very hard and really meticulously looked after my health. But on the same hand, almost a little bit, on the other hand, I should say a little bit guilty because how have I let that slip? And as I went into those next years of my life, you know, I was PTing and then found the opportunity to step into real estate. But unfortunately, I just kind of forgot about that watershed moment. You know, you're still so young and naive that you kind of brush it to the side and go, well, I've got back in control of my health. I should be fine. And I started to get a little bit naive about how important it was to maintain my health. And I started to look to social media, not just for the validation of my skin and my insecurities and those things, but you know, the validation of if I have material things, if I have a nice car, fancy suits, a big house, if I make a lot of money, I'll be happy. And you know, I started to go into real estate with that mindset that I was there to make money. And within that first year, I was given an opportunity by a major company down in Melbourne to move down there and sell upmarket real estate in and around the city of Melbourne. And as I went down there, moving away from my family was a a huge decision. You know, I remember crying for days after they left me, you know, 21-year-old man, I believe at the time, maybe 22, sitting in an apartment by myself, you know, no longer surrounded by my support system and pursuing or in pursuit of, you know, this idea that money was going to make me happy, that success within my career was going to define my self-worth, make me feel better about the insecurities that I had. And, you know, after a year there, I ended up back home in Wollongong, but I ended up back home unhealthier than I'd ever been. I'd never trained so little in my life. I'd never taken so little care of my health. And my pursuit of success had become so paramount in my list of priorities 
that I felt so out of touch with the human being that I was in my early years. And over the course of that next 18 months to follow as I'd moved back to Wollongong and started to really push myself in the real estate space, all of that just started to get worse. And I felt like I was on this downhill slide. It was, you know, another time spent in hospital with a new lung infection. And it was finally this, what I'd call like one of the biggest watershed moments, one of the most life-changing moments thus far in my journey that happened at the age of 23. I'd become incredibly unhappy at work. I just felt flat. I felt so unfulfilled and uninspired and it felt so out of touch with who I knew I could be. And I say thankfully, which will sound funny to most people, but thankfully I got a call from my doctors to say that I developed a really serious infection in my lungs and they said this infection could potentially ruin your ability to ever have a transplant if you need it. And that definitely wasn't a plan for me, but to have a safety net pulled from under you scares the living hell out of you. And they said, we need you to go to hospital immediately and you're going to spend the next couple of weeks in there trying to get rid of this infection. But to make sure that I was away from any other potential infections, they put me in this room. But just next door, there was a room of four older gentlemen. And one day my mum had come up to see me before work and we're walking down the hallway of the hospital And from that next door room, um, one of the neighbours popped out, one of the other gents staying in hospital. His name was Ernie and my mum had actually sold him a car. And as they started to chat, my mum then introduced me to this man and we started having a yarn and I said, hey, mate, how are you finding the experience in hospital? And he said, oh, it's pretty hectic. You know, I'm in a room with three other fellas and, you know, they're not all that well. And I said, mate, if you ever need to get out of your room and just escape that situation for a moment, you're always welcome to come and knock on my door. You know, I've got a solo room and I'm always happy to have a chat. And so from that afternoon at 2 p.m., the tea and biscuit cart would come around every day and I'd get my tea and bickies and then his room would be next and he'd grab his, walk on over to my room, knock on the door and we'd sit down, we'd have a chat for an hour over our tea and bickies. And I remember just chatting with Ernie every day and, you know, sort of uncovering a little bit about his life. And Ernie was fighting terminal cancer at the time. He was only in his 60s, you know, still quite a young and vibrant looking guy. And he'd lived an incredibly interesting life. He was a prison guard in Australia, um, guarding people like Ivan Milat. Some of the most um, serious criminals in Australian history had been under his guard, under his watch. And He had these incredibly interesting stories, but once we got through the surface level stories, we really got to the crux of how he was feeling about imminent mortality. And as I started to talk to Ernie more and more each day, by the end of that two weeks in hospital, it was very clear to me that in the end of your life, when you know that you're on your way out, all you really care about are your moments in time and those moments spent with the people you love. He never spoke about what car he drove, what house he owned, how much money he made at the job. He always spoke about his experiences and his memories. As I sat there and, and packed my bags on my last day in hospital, it was just so clear to me that something needed to change in my life because I'd been given the gift of, you know, walking out of that hospital healthy. I still had the gift of life. Ernie was soon not to have that. And I thought, if I can learn from his story, if I can change the trajectory of my life and walk out of here and and find a new lease of life to find new hope for what my future can hold, I need to take that opportunity. 
And so I left. And over the course of the months to come, I started to think about what that looked like until I read a book called The Alchemist. And in The Alchemist, the message for me without diving too far into the book was that to really experience the simple treasures of life, our people, you know, love, happiness, joy, real meaning and purpose, you have to be willing to go on the quest. And I decided that for me, real estate wasn't the career that I needed to dedicate my time to anymore. So with no real plan, with no real idea of what the future looked like, with only a podcast that was four episodes into the journey and no way of paying my bills or my mortgage, I decided to quit my job on the spot. And that essentially sums up that period of my life. Sorry if I talk for too long there, but I get, I get passionate and I get in it. Oh my God, not at all. I'm hanging off your every word, genuinely. I'm captivated by it. It's such a powerful story and it just goes to show that one conversation can completely change the course of somebody's life, which reinforces the importance of what you're doing by sharing your story, right? And likewise. It's so hard to go against the grain and the status quo and step away from that stability. We're farted out of the education system Once we graduate, the done thing is to go get a nine to five and chase the accolades and the money. And we often lose sight of our passions and what really lights us up in the process. Yeah, it's 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 funny for me because in hindsight, understanding what I understand now about crafting purpose for your life, developing resilience, you know, embracing your story. I think there's ways that I could have maybe continued to stay within the structure that I was in, but understand what was required to get more meaning out of that that kind of work and that role. However, I'm so glad that I didn't understand what I now do because it's led to me doing everything I'm doing. But I think the question for most people is whether they're willing to believe that they are, are capable of having a purpose in life. The fact is that everyone has purpose everyone is able to have purpose. You just have to craft what that looks like for you. And for me now, it's, it's taken a journey down many different paths and, and a journey that's you know put me in front of even more adversity than I could have imagined to really figure out and craft what that looks like for me. But I think so many people are, they're too scared to do the work or they're frightened of doing the work because they're frightened of what it will uncover. And it uncovers real challenge. It means that you have to tackle adversity head on. Like you don't get to leave your job without a way of making money and a way of paying your mortgage without facing some adversity. It has to get uncomfortable before it first get before it then gets comfortable. And I think, you know, I just I just hope as I continue to share my story, so many other people continue to share share theirs, that people feel compelled to ask themselves the question. What does a meaningful life look like to me? And what do I believe my purpose is? Because when we start to answer those questions for ourselves in our own ways, and they don't have to be complex answers, they can be simple answers, then life gets a whole lot richer. And I've experienced the beauty of that. And I continue to experience the beauty of that because I continue to ask myself those questions. And Purpose doesn't have to be found in what you do to make money, right? It could be something completely different, like a hobby or a passion or something. 
I'm curious to know, because, you know, it's obviously something that many people struggle with. And it's only really in my 30s that I've come to understand what my purpose is, despite having had this desire to help people my whole life. If you could give advice to somebody in search of their purpose, what would it be? I I love this question because there's many ways that I've now framed this for myself and I've learned it off people who I'd say are far wiser and far more intelligent than I am in this space. You know, there's probably the most simple and easiest way that's really been beneficial to me is what Jay Shetty describes. Jay Shetty is the former monk and, you know, New York Times bestselling author and incredible podcast host. He's just such a, a wise and inspiring guy. And he says that purpose is basically answering two questions. The first being, what am I passionate about? Like, and when you ask that question, it's what am I passionate about? What would I do when I've got my free time to do it? What would I do without having to make any money from it? What would I do just because I purely love it and am passionate about it? And the second question is, how can I use that passion to serve and enrich the lives of others? And for me, the answer to that question was storytelling is the passion. And I decided that I wanted to uplift and inspire hope in others through story. And now that that North Star, as you so beautifully mentioned, is the thing that basically filters every opportunity in my life. As an opportunity comes knocking on my door, I ask myself, can I use this vehicle to uplift and inspire hope in others through either my story or the stories of others? You know, there's a few other ways that I like to frame purpose. I heard an incredible um, sort of incredible but very different way of describing it from um, incredible psychologist Mel Robbins. And Mel says that she believes everyone has the same purpose, which is being just the truest version of yourself. And I guess what I think Mel's leading to, or at least my interpretation of it, is that your purpose has to be your own. It has to be authentic. I think too often in life we look to um, our role models, the people that we aspire to be like, or maybe you know, we aspire to walk similar paths to what they've walked and we just take on their own purpose, but it really has to be an individual thing. And so I think there's also the confusion that you have to be able to answer it straight away. And for me, like it's taken not just finding it, but crafting it. And I think you have to be willing to go down a few wrong paths to find the right one. And so, you know, this has taken a couple of years to get very solid on what that looks like for me, how I can then go on to live through that purpose and in purpose. And once you do, like it just, it enriches your own life in the process. Mm, And when you say wrong turns, I just want to reinforce the fact that there's really no such thing as a failure right? It's a learning. You reach a dead end, you turn back and you choose another direction. It's a process of self-inquiry, of discovery, of elimination. Definitely. I'm really fond of the work of Ben Crow, an incredible mindset mentor for so many athletes in Australia and around the world. And Ben's organization, Mojo Crow, really, really sets out to answer or to ask and then help people answer three really forming life questions. The first being, who am I? The second being, what do I want? And the third, how do I get there? And Ben says all the time that once you figure out who you are and what you want, which is essentially 
what makes you passionate, what your value, values are and what your purpose is, you get to enjoy the journey of how do I get there. You get to enjoy that quest. And that so beautifully ties in with what you said there about there truly being no wrong turns and um, there being, you know, no failure, just learning. Because once you're on the journey, you just get to enjoy whatever life looks like. And you know that you're doing things that are, are true to you, that are aligned with your values and your purpose. And for me, it's, you know, that's beautiful. Like that's what life's about. It's not supposed to be easy or smooth sailing. Um, the challenges make it interesting. Yeah. And I think it's really important to remind ourselves too that we're on our own timelines, right? It's so hard not to measure ourselves against what we see other people doing. And I think the rise in social media in recent years and people using those platforms to project their highlight reel, it's kind of in our face all the time. And I think that can really feed feelings of inadequacy and dissatisfaction with what we have with our lives. So remembering that we're all on our own trajectories and just because somebody has reached a certain level of success or they have reached a goal that we are aspiring to reach. And obviously success looks different for each of us. It doesn't mean that it's no longer possible for us. Definitely. And, you know, it lends to that that incredible saying, that incredible quote, that comparison is the thief of joy. And as I look at every area in my life in which I compare myself to others, every area in my life in which I allow my insecurities to stop me from, to, from doing things, from experiencing things and enjoying them, it really just, it just really reminds me consistently. And I actually had a conversation about this yesterday with my partner that everything I've ever been insecure about, everything that I've ever compared myself over has just robbed me of the joy of living life fully and accepting who I am. Like it's so much healthier just to be able to accept that everybody is imperfect. There is no such thing as perfection. And when we lean into that idea and just embrace it, you know, I am who I am and, you know, life is beautiful because I am unique. You know, when you own your story, when you own your authentic story, it becomes your superpower because nobody can replicate that. And as I understand that, and don't get me wrong, it's still a challenge every day not to compare myself, not to allow my insecurities to override my confidence in certain areas of my life. But really, once you start to understand and and really challenge yourself to be more accepting of self, life is is more enjoyable. I completely agree with you. Yeah. And nobody is immune to adversity either. I had to remind myself of that a lot in the wake of my late partner Ben's death. I found myself getting caught up in this story that other people had it better. But in truth, nobody is immune. Nobody gets a free pass in life. And coming back to that, reminding myself of that enabled me to cultivate firstly more acceptance and also more compassion for others. Yeah, and I can't even imagine what it would feel like to to lose your partner as you have. And I'm so inspired by your strength and your willingness to use your pain to power your purpose in life because, you know, my challenges have very much been my own and because of that a lot of them, you know, how I respond to them are in my control. I just can't imagine how difficult it would be to lose someone you love and 
you know, so I'm so inspired by you and I know that so many people are inspired by your story and you, your willingness to share and use that for good. So, Thanks, Brad. That means a lot. I think acknowledging that what happened happened and that nothing could be done to reverse time or change the course of what happened meant that I was forced to find a way to live with it and to keep moving forwards. That was really the driving force, to be honest, the permanence of it. You know, what was I going to do? Was I going to allow this to dictate the course of my life until I joined him? Was I going to be a victim to my circumstances? Was I going to resign myself to a lifetime of misery? Or was I going to try and accept what happened and make the best of it? You know, could I transmute this experience and somehow find meaning and purpose in it? And that's not to say that I believe that everything happens for a reason. I can't fucking stand those platitudes, but we do have a choice. We do have a choice as to how we show up. Oh, I agree so much with that. And, you know, really, as you said, you can't be the victim of your circumstances because as hard as it is, as challenging as it can be, and as much as your brain and your heart want to allow you to be at times, unfortunately, it just stops and halts the progress of your life. And, I know and I'm so confident that your partner, Ben, would be so proud looking down on the path that you've taken. And as I know that my parents and my family and my partner and the people in my life are are so proud that I've chosen to handle and battle CF the way that I do because it allows you to then inspire other people. And it, as you so beautifully said, lends to, you know, you living a life on purpose. And I just couldn't agree more with what you're saying. I think it's such a beautiful message for people to hear. Thank you. Yeah, that's it. We're not always in control of what happens to us, but I think we do have some degree of control as to what we then do moving forwards. Brad, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. As you said, you had that pivotal moment with Ernie in the hospital room, which totally changed your life. I want to know what your work looks like now. Well, sort of leaving real estate, I I think, as I briefly mentioned, had four episodes of a podcast filmed and released, and I'd started to understand and recognize the power of storytelling again, and I'd started to refine and reform that passion. And as I noticed you know, what for me were just incredibly enjoyable and inspiring conversations to have as the host were connecting with the audience on a deeper level and people were messaging me with words of encouragement to continue going and, you know, words of of gratitude for the, the impact that those conversations were having on their lives. And I decided that I really wanted to throw myself into the podcast space, you know, with 100% of my energy. And as I'd done that, sort of the COVID first lockdown happened and I started recording a lot of Zoom conversations and online chats from home. And during that time, I thought, what an incredible opportunity where my focus is on solely sharing story to own my own story again and take back control of my health. And so during that sort of first couple months, I started walking a little bit and, you know, I had a little bit of a real estate dad rig hanging around from just sitting behind a desk and having too many lattes and eating too many biscuits at the office. And I started to take back control of my health. So I was walking, then I started swimming in the ocean a little bit because all the gyms were closed during this time in Australia. 
And then I bumped into a mate walking along the track and he said, you should come to this run club on Sunday. It's called Active Boys Run Club. We meet at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning. He said, I know you're an early riser and you might not enjoy the run, but you'll probably enjoy the coffee and the conversation after. And this club had just started to open up again as we were allowed to congregate in small groups outside. And I thought, God, I hate running, but maybe the social aspect of this will be really nice, especially through, through a time like COVID. So I got down there on the Sunday morning and surprising myself, I got through the first five with a real struggle and I rocked up for four weeks in a row. And so on the fourth week, I was sitting there on a Sunday just after the run and something didn't quite feel right on the run. I was starting to feel a little bit fitter, I guess, and healthier, but there was this really loose feeling in my lungs. It's the only way I can describe it, like this feeling as though there was a loose nature to my lungs and almost like there's a little bit of water moving around in them. And it was a couple of hours later over a coffee, I coughed and I tasted that familiar taste of blood again. And I went to the public bathroom down at the beach at the time without sort of alerting any of my mates that there was an issue and started coughing up this fresh blood again. Now, it had been a couple of years, it had been since I was 18, so six years since I'd coughed up blood and felt that feeling. And so it's once again alarming because you think, far out, I thought I was starting to get fit and starting to look after my health. And as I found my way into emergency that afternoon and then for the consecutive two days to follow, I now had three days worth of bleeding lungs and I was like, far out, what is wrong? They found an infection in my lungs at the time and they explained that where the scarring from previous infection lies within the lungs new infection can irritate that scarring and then when I cough it can open the scar tissue up and encourage blood to come out and and need to escape the lungs. Now they said there are are a few risks that come with that because you know if it continues to bleed and too much blood is lost well then you know that can be fatal so you need to make sure you get to the hospital if it's a certain amount you need to get there urgently so we can do a bunch of tests and as I was sitting there on the third night getting a bunch of these tests done I was sitting next to my dad. It was about 2 a.m. in the morning and he'd been the one to take me up to hospital again. And we're sitting there having a chat and I said, you know what, I'm really enjoying this running thing. And it got us then reminiscing on 22 years prior to that. I was 24 at this stage in hospital. My dad, in an effort to raise funds and awareness for CF, had run 68 kilometers three days in a row alongside my uncle and a couple of marathon runners. And they weren't particularly incredible distance runners. They were just fit guys who wanted to make a difference. And he was a dad who felt this calling a purpose to do something that would impact his son's life positively. And Alongside my mum, they created this incredible charity event, raised a bunch of money at the time. And my dad actually had this photo that he sent to me of him crossing the finish line of that event. There's also another photo of, you know, him and me in the paper just after that event in the week to follow. And as I sat there, I said to my dad, you know what, I'm not just going to recover for me this time, but I'm going to recover in a way that inspires other people with CF to see that nothing is impossible for us, that we can achieve anything we set our minds to regardless of the adversity we face. It was July at the time and I said, by the end of the year, I'll run a marathon for CF. And the week that followed, I I found my way back at home starting to recover and I put it out to the world on social media so that I was accountable that I was going to run a marathon on December 12th, 2020 to raise funds and awareness for cystic fibrosis and prove that nothing was impossible for people living with our our condition. 
and that event got picked up by Cystic Fibrosis Australia, the organisation. We created a team around me to, you know, make this event not just me and a couple of mates running, but to make it a big charity fundraiser and it become the first official marathon in our city, Wollongong's history. And we went on after a few months of ups and downs and hurdles and more lung bleeds and, you know, being in hospital a month out from the event, I went on to finish that marathon on December 12th. And it was one of the proudest moments of my life and one of the best days of my life because not only did it prove that nothing was impossible for people living with CF, but it re-inspired that youthful vitality in me and that hope in me that I was capable of so much more than I'd been allowing myself to believe in the years of past. And I think it was also beautiful because for my family to watch me cross the finish line, it reinstilled their hope that I would do anything I had to do to fight against the deteriorating nature of cystic fibrosis and get my vitality back, to get my health back. And on that day, I remember finishing after what was a bloody tough slog of a run you know, dropping to the floor after 42.2 Ks before picking myself back up pretty quickly and I guess in very typical Brad Driver fashion, delivering a six-minute speech to everyone who had gathered to watch us cross the finish line. There's about 100 people there and, you know, sort of after a lot of thank yous and a lot of tears, I just said that, you know, the doctor who told my parents I'd be better off with a terminal illness, that cystic fibrosis would ruin my life. I said, fucking look at me now. It was just, it was such an inspiring moment for myself and for my family and my friends. And, you know, it's, it's really inspired what the journey has looked like in, you know, the years to follow. That event's now, now run three times and, you know, we've raised over $105,000 here in Australia for people with cystic fibrosis to, you know, fund new research and, you know, advocate for life-saving drugs in which we actually just had the most life-saving drug ever approved in the cystic fibrosis space recently off the back of a lot of the work we were doing um, with this event. You know, it was a big catalyst for that. And, you know, it's gone on to then the podcast being now 150 plus episodes deep and, you know, winning awards at Government House and meeting former prime ministers and you know, essentially now getting up on stage as a keynote speaker to share my story and to talk about, you know, those notes of crafting purpose for your life, developing resilience and, and really owning your authentic story and allowing that to become your superpower. And I just feel so privileged that as I look at my life now, you know, it very much resembles the dreams that I had as a kid. And I think that's the beauty of looking back at our early years and looking back at just the pure passions we had in those younger years before we were influenced by the world or influenced to compare ourselves or to allow our negative self-talk to take over. And, you know, as I look at the years to come, I, I just can't help but be excited because everything I'm doing right now, everything that's starting to actualize and all those dreams that are starting to come to fruition, I'm just feeling very blessed and very grateful that I get to live the life that I do. And Brad, I hope you know that that's as much you're doing as it is anything else. It's so deserved. You've been, by the looks of things, relentless in your pursuit of personal growth. So massive hats off to you. It's remarkable. It's so impressive. How do you navigate the bad days? Assuming you have them, which I imagine you do because I think we all do. What do you do to lift yourself out of them? Do you have any secret ingredients? Are there any specific tools that you tap into? 
Yeah, it's it's definitely what you said. I think we all have those bad days, and I'm so blessed that now that my really challenging or or bad health days are very few and far in between. You know, due to some incredible medical advancements around certain medication. You know, that life saving drug that I mentioned has really improved the quality of my lungs and their resilience. But we still all have challenging and bad days in our lives, and that can take shape in many different ways and you know sometimes it's you know a bit of a tough slog with work some days it's you know the body playing up or you know a challenge with the lungs or whatever it may be but what i found is a really useful tool during my first marathon prep i remember being out running one day by myself it was my first ever 20k run it was a really hot day um, I was supposed to have two people come and support me on the run that day. They slept in. And so I was out there solo. I was about 12Ks in. I was really starting to hurt. And I remember just looking up at the sky. It was blue. The sun was out. The beach was just glistening. And I was running through this little trail. And I sat there and I thought to myself, far out, how blessed am I? And just this little mantra coming in my head. And, you know, I was craving any reason to feel good about myself whilst I was feeling the legs and the lungs really burning. And I just said out loud, blessed to be out here because there's days where I've had to look at this view from a hospital bed, blessed to be healthy because there's days where I haven't been, blessed to be running because there were times when I couldn't, blessed that my worst day would be considered someone's best, I'm blessed. And it's just that simple mantra which really is just a form of gratitude you know which our good friend cooper chapman so beautifully talks about on a consistent basis through his podcast and work that just really realigns our perspective and i just think far out how lucky am i because unfortunately you know a lot of people with cf pass by the age of 40 a lot of people with cf at the age i am right now at 26 are sitting in hospital beds you know watching what i so incredibly get to do and feel so privileged to do through the screen on their phone because they can't themselves and you know I hope that one day anyone who was in that position gets to that they continue to fight and remind themselves that they are capable of of overcoming the adversity they face but if I get to live that right now if I get to have that gift of air in my lungs and a heartbeat you know, how lucky am I? And, you know, how much of a waste would it be not to to recognize that blessing and to use it for good? And so for me, it's just a simple question of, you know, can I be grateful? And we can always be grateful because there's always a positive. There's always something to learn from. There's always something to feel blessed for. And as soon as I come back to that, it's impossible not to smile afterwards. Totally. Absolutely. Circling back to what we were saying earlier, So long as we're alive, there is something to be grateful for. And that's a gift that many people are not granted. Oh, I couldn't agree more. It's funny you mentioned confronting our mortality. I released a podcast episode, which was alongside two of my best mates. It was recorded and released. And we have these incredible conversations over our morning runs and our coffees. And we feel very lucky, you know, and in particular, I'll speak for myself. I feel incredibly, incredibly lucky that as a 26 year old man, I've got mates who are within my age bracket that I can be really vulnerable and really open with. And we have these incredible chats and 
I said, far out, I feel like these chats, if other guys our age could hear them and feel comfortable and being vulnerable and open with their mates, I feel like this would have a really profound effect on people. And so we decided to sit down every couple of weeks and start recording a podcast episode in which we basically just title the episode Three Mates and then whatever we talk about that day. And on the particular first episode together, it was Three Mates Write Their Own Eulogies or read their own eulogies, I should say. And so, you know, it was my idea for this episode because I watched a a TV program that made me think about the concept of accepting death and understanding it. And so as I, I mentioned to the boys, why don't we all write our own eulogies and read them out loud if you feel comfortable doing that, and we'll talk about how that makes us feel about the gift of life and what we want to live for now. And Mine was incredibly emotional. I've never been so emotional on camera or in front of mates in my life. Like I cried and it took me three and a half minutes to get out what probably could have taken one. And what I realized is, you know, I can get so stressed and overwhelmed about, you know, some of the stuff in my life, you know, you know, to be completely transparent, podcasting, speaking, you know, doesn't consistently pay the bills, right? As I sat there and read my eulogy, it was essentially a thank you letter and a letter of gratitude to my dad, my mom, my sister, and my beautiful beautiful partner, Soph, for how blessed I am to have them in my life and how blessed I am to have their unconditional love and to give my unconditional love to them and just to experience life alongside them. And it makes me think, you know, every time I, I feel stressed or overwhelmed, I've gone back to that eulogy and gone, in the end, this won't matter. Those people, the time with them and the memories with them is what will. And so, you know, I think reflecting on and considering our mortality as human beings allows us to really get in touch with what's truly important in life. And when you understand what's truly important, you never get too far outside of the realm of that. You never let yourself drift too far from, you know, being grateful and, you know, recognising your blessings. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Oh, my pleasure. I can imagine it would be such an uncomfortable and confronting exercise, but my God, so profound and unparalleled really in getting really fucking clear and what it is that you want from your time. Most definitely. If you could say something to your younger self, the version of you that felt lost and confused as to what your future path would look like, what would it be? That's such a great question, Lottie, and I feel like there's so many things that come to front of mind, and you're almost asked this question, you want to, you know, you think about, you know, that you can be empathetic to the the younger version of yourself and think, oh, I just want to give him the the biggest gem of wisdom that I can so that he can go on to live a life that is really meaningful and and really enjoyable and filled with memories with his people. And I think I've been in the process of writing a book and at the end of that book, there's a very simple statement that feels like it would be an appropriate message to my younger self. And it's you're the author of your own story, so write what you'd wish to read, but remember that your pen can't write what your mind won't allow you to believe. And for me, that that feels like it because 
at times in your life you can unfortunately think that you're you aren't in control that you can't be the master of your destiny that life is somewhat already decided for you based on what you're supposed to do or what the society expects of you and sometimes we feel a little bit helpless to that we also sometimes give in to what the world is telling us we can't do as opposed to believing in what we can do and believing in what we feel called to do and you know i lost that direction in my life for a little while but i'm I'm so grateful that i i found that direction again and that i'm on that path and so you know that message would have served a young a younger brad really well and it still serves me very well today yeah and i'm sure to anybody listening who is seeking guidance Brad, you are an extraordinary human being. I'm so happy I got to speak to you today. Thank you again. And for my listeners that want to stay connected with you, where can they find you? Yeah, just basically the the hub of everything I do is Instagram. It's, you know, where I connect all my speaking work, my podcast work and everything I'm doing on a run and charity level. It's just Bradley J. Drybra on Instagram. You'll find me there. There's a big mug shot of my face it's pretty hard not to recognize once you've seen it and um yeah that's basically where i post everything where i'm the most consistent and i'd love to hear from people if you've listened to this episode and you want to reach out and share a little bit of your story i'd love to hear it I always love connecting with new people amazing and what about your podcast yeah my podcast a lot to talk about you can find all that on my social media as well it's you know, it's on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, basically every good potty platform. So I would love people to come across and subscribe and tune in and, and give me some feedback on the show. You know, we always want to grow it and make it better and, and make sure that it's connecting with people and serving that purpose.